Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Space, the final investment frontier. The rival of space tech companies has opened up the investment universe. It's no longer just for billionaires. Paul Lewis joins me to explain why Scottish taxes are increasingly out of kilter. And children's bank accounts. You might have coveted a NatWest piggy bank or a Griffin sports bag as a child, but would your six-year-old rather have a contactless card? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Hugo Greenhouch, the FT's wealth correspondent, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. Investing in space has largely been the preserve of billionaires who can afford to speculate on space tourism and rockets. But there's a whole range of investment options emerging. I'm joined now by Amy Williams, a reporter on FT Money who wrote this week's cover story. It's not all about space hotels and rockets to Mars, is it? There are some more down-to-earth ideas. There are some more down-to-earth ideas, and they are mostly to be found in the UK's burgeoning satellite industry. So... Satellites, I don't know about you, but when I think of a satellite, I think of this enormous thing owned by a government floating around the Earth. But now satellites are much smaller, much cheaper to make. So there are a wealth of small tech startups getting involved and all sorts of exciting new uses for these satellites. And it's all about the data as well, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, if you think about what satellites are doing, they are effectively completely dedicated to gathering data about the Earth and sort of beaming it back down. So a smartphone, obviously, is pretty dependent on satellites. Um, So the more satellites we have, the more data that they can collect on aggregate. And so whereas people used to talk about big data... People are now talking about extreme data. Well, they're now talking about satellite data. This is great. Satellite data, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, people have often looked at the internet and Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing and and tracked you around the internet and followed you about. But um, with satellites now, the possibilities are even greater. You can sort of, you could have telecoms companies knowing exactly where you are at all times. Well, that's a rather, exactly, not a very comforting thought. But but in this uh, new space, there are already several funds and investment vehicles aren't there? They are still a little few and far between. So there's only one major fund dedicated solely to space technology. It's called Seraphim and it's run by a venture capital outfit. So it's quite difficult for retail investors to get involved in that. But there are a few more mainstream tech funds who are starting to think about how they can gain exposure to space. So there's one called SpaceNet Ventures, which is a tax-efficient fund, an enterprise investment fund. And they're looking at investing in the companies that are analysing data 
gathered from the satellite. So they're looking more at sort of applied versions of space technology. Another fund manager, uh, Downing Partners, has taken a slightly different approach and has bought an Earth station. So this is essentially an enormous satellite dish that pulls down the data from satellites passing overhead. And Downing has got ownership of this and can obviously sort of sell their services to various companies wanting to read their satellites. So it's great. So you can actually sort of, you know, as a a retail investor, as a kind of normal high street investor, get into this market, which is a a perfect example of that. But one thing we loved about the piece was more the kind of the zanier space investment ideas out there. Tell us a bit about the meteor showers and the cleaning up space junk. Well, the the meteor showers. That was one of my favourites, actually. That's a Japanese company. So they're not quite doing it yet, but their plan is that they're going to offer meteor showers on demand. And I like this because it illustrates how cheap and small and light uh, satellites are to make these hang days. Hang on, hang on. The bit. So how, how do you get a meteor shower on demand? Well, what you do is you fire your satellite up into space and you essentially fire things into the Earth's atmosphere where they burn up. Fantastic. So you could have, you know, meteor showers on your wedding day. And then creating basically space junk, which then needs cleaning up. Space junk, exactly. So scientists are quite worried about uh, all these satellites floating around the Earth and they're worried about them crashing into each other. So there's a huge drive at the moment for satellites to be destroyed or removed from the Earth's atmosphere where possible. And obviously that creates opportunities for commercial companies to come up with new and innovative ways to get rid of all this junk. The future is out there at this point. Well, look, thank you very much to Amy Williams, FT reporter. You can read her feature in the money section of FT Weekend on sale from Saturday and online at ft.com forward slash money. From April, devolution means Scotland has the power to tax its people differently from the rest of the UK. Paul Lewis, FT Money columnist and BBC Moneybox presenter, has been looking into the differences. And tax is set to get a good deal more taxing for those north of the border. Paul, thanks for joining us. And how is the Scottish Government's tax policy going to diverge in April? Well, they're only making one change, Hugo. They've decided that higher rate tax on earnings and one or two other things will start at £43,000. Now, that's the level it starts at this year, so they've frozen it. But in the rest of the UK, that threshold is rising to £45,000. So on the face of it, it seems that Scottish taxpayers will pay a few hundred pounds more tax than the people in the rest of the UK. I can't imagine that they're going to be very happy about that. (laughs) Well, no, nor can I. But when I looked into this, I found it was actually much more complicated than that. It's not just that they'll be paying at the most £400 more tax than people in the rest of the UK. But that £43,000 limit I mentioned that the Scottish Government is freezing at that level, it turns out doesn't apply to all your income. It applies to your earnings, it applies to a pension if you have a pension of that size, or it, it applies to money coming from rent, but it doesn't apply to savings or dividends. Because when Westminster gave the Scottish Government these new powers, it decided it would hold back on certain things. More tax complications, who knew it? But looking at closer at the anomalies, there are also some tax changes that affect the whole of the UK that they can't do anything about. That's absolutely right. The personal allowance, that's the amount we all have before we pay any tax, that's going up from 11 to 11,500 pounds from April, that applies in Scotland. The higher rate threshold 
that applies to savings and dividends, as I said, that will go up to £45,000. And the tax rates are all the same, 20%, 40%, 45%. But if you count national insurance as a tax, then that isn't devolved either. So while you'll start paying higher rate tax on your earned income in Scotland at above £43,000, you'll still pay the higher rate of national insurance, the 12%. So for that band of income, that £2,000 between 43 and 45000 Scottish people, I mean people living in Scotland, will be paying 52% marginal rate on that money. Good grief. And just further than that, uh, looking at the two examples that you mentioned in your piece for Saturday's FT Money section, you talk about Alex and Hamish in terms of the anomalies that this could throw up. Uh, well, yes, let's take Alex. He's the first one. He's at work. He lives in a nice flat. He earns £43,500 earned income from his job. But he also has £85,000 in a savings account he's saving up for a deposit. And that's earning him £1,500 interest. So because his £1,500 only take him up to £45,000 total income, that money is subject to the rest of the UK, the, the whole UK tax laws. The first £1,000 is free of any tax. And the next 500 is only taxed at the lower rate of 20%. So he'll just pay £100 of tax instead of the 400 he'd pay if Scotland could reduce the level for savings as well to 43,000. So he's actually doing quite well out of this because he's got that money in savings. And a final question, looking at obviously devolution is one thing, but independence is another. Would it be all change again, do you think? Well, I think once you've started to make changes and assert your independence, you'll carry on. And the Scottish Government can change the rates of tax and the thresholds for earnings and pensions, but not for savings. Now, of course, if Scotland becomes fully independent, it'll be a completely different ball game. And I think they may well decide to change the income tax system. Don't forget they have different taxes now when you buy a house. There are a lot more for more expensive houses. They have different taxes for landfill tax, for example, and they want to change the duty on aircraft when they leave their airports in their country. So I really think that there will be differences and these can only grow whether Scotland gets full independence or not. They will grow. What an unholy mess. Uh, Well, Paul Lewis, thank you very much for joining us. And any parent listening to this, please do make sure your child grows up to become a tax consultant because they'll be keeping you in a style you're wildly unaccustomed to for many, many years. Paul, thank you very much. And you can read Paul's feature in the money section of FT Weekend on sale from Saturday or online at ft.com forward slash money. Now, do you remember your first bank account? Probably not, but I bet you remember the freebies that came with it. I got a Griffin sports bag and a protractor and a card with my name on it, which is pretty useless as ATMs had yet to come to deepest, darkest Devon. But now kids want apps and experiences, or do they? I'm joined by Tom Blomfield, Chief Executive of Monzo Bank, one of the new online-only banks which currently offers a prepaid card account for adults, but we'll be launching into current accounts for kids and adults in the next few months. Tom, we talked earlier in the week and you told me there's no need to bribe children nowadays or their parents into opening a bank account. But surely every kid wants free stuff. I think in the world we live in today where the kids are using things like Snapchat and WhatsApp, actually people, kids are looking for apps that work, that really deliver the kind of experience that they expect. And in the absence of that experience, I think banks resort to these bribes. I mean, I, I got a NatWest rail card, I think, to open my first proper bank account. 
For a challenger like Monzo, I think we're trying to compete on a differentiated experience, so solving different kind of problems. And the brutal reality is we just don't have the cash to bribe kids £100 each to switch accounts, so we have to rely on our cunning and, and differentiated and this, is, this is how much you think it, it costs a, a bank to kind of bring on a new customer, about 100 quid or so. Yeah, if you look at a lot of the switching bonuses, they're around 100, 150 quid, and you know that's packaged up either as cash back for a year or it's 3% interest up to... £5,000 or it's, you know, it's just a lump sum switching bonus. But if you do the maths, it always adds up to between about 100 and 150 quid. And that's just an investment in locking in that customer. But what about just a piggy bank? (laughs) So perhaps kids are a bit cheaper. Perhaps kids, I don't know what the number is, maybe it's only 20 or £30 because it takes longer to pay back. But the calculation these banks are, are doing is that if we can offer something up front, even though this kid's not going to make us any money for 10 or even 15 years, maybe, eventually they'll buy a mortgage and then we've hit the jackpot. And the kids are all online nowadays as well. It's all about the phone. So if you, if you get the snazzy app, that's the way to get the, the, the kid to join? I think for some people, certainly. I think the kinds of experiences that we can offer are differentiated in, in for some people. So you, know, you lose your card, you can tap a button and it's frozen. No one can use it, even contactlessly, or it can help you stick to a budget and give you real-time notifications about where your money's going. You can request money from friends and, and split bills. It's it's that kind of immediate, in-the-moment functionality that I think a lot of people value over and above a sports bag or a, a pop CD. Part of the issue for banks and building societies, whether they're online or in the high street, is loyalty. One in four of us, it seems, myself included, are still with the same bank that they joined as a child. So just how valuable is the children's market to your company and the wider industry? I think for the banks, it's very important because they broadly have products that aren't differentiated. And so they have to really fight for every customer. And so going for young customers, you know, it's it's a long term investment, but they make the calculation if we can acquire them young for just the price of a CD and sit on them for 10 years, then we'll make money. And I think this is just based on the, the assumption that the accounts themselves, the current accounts or the mortgage or the savings account, aren't any different at all, which has been true for, for 20 or 30 years. And so you've got to get the customers where you can. I think our approach is different. It's that the account actually is differentiated. It does solve different kinds of problems. Uh, the kids are getting cleverer, basically, to a certain extent. Almost sophisticated in terms of what they want. I think their demands are changing. I think a lot of traditional banking has been based on this idea of, of traditional economics. You know, it's like, what's in it for me financially? I think a lot of people actually think, I think behavioural economics explains people's actions much better sometimes. So the feeling of control or reassurance rather than simply I'm getting some cash. But at the same time, you know, if, if I were a parent taking little Timmy or little Henrietta to the bank you know, to open up a children's account, I'd want them to come home with something, you know, whether it's a piggy bank or a, not necessarily a sports bag or a protractor nowadays, but a nice little kind of, you know, piggy bank for them to experience saving and experience the, learning the value of money. <laughs> yeah, I think piggy banks in a world where, where cash usage is declining are less and less relevant. I think if I was a parent, I'd look at something like today, I'd definitely look at a Go Henry or an Osper, which gives me visibility and control into what my kids are spending in real time with you know with the traditional banks you spend on a contactless card and actually the transaction doesn't appear for two or three days and you can go up to a hundred pounds overdrawn without realizing it and as a parent that's kind of terrifying i'd much prefer to know where my kid is spending what they're spending it on in real time because it's that visibility and control Tom Blomfield there, Chief Executive of Monzo Bank. Thank you very much for joining us today. And you can read the article, written by me, in fact, in the money section of FT Weekend on sale from Saturday or online at ft.com forward slash money. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up 
or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch. Email us, money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney, or comment on our articles online at ft.com forward slash money. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Thank you very much. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.